Welcome to the DGR podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hey guys, David here. Welcome back to the DGR podcast. This is episode number 67. I hope you're I hope you are all doing well. I have a little bit of a, a different episode slash special episode today. I'm joined by Peter Wright. Uh PT has a podcast called the PT Performance Podcast. I was actually a, a guest on that before. And Peter wanted to come down to the Waterford Riviera. Uh, the Butlerstown Riviera. He wanted to come down and do record a second one in person in in our clinic here. So uh, it was it was great to get him down, and we actually agreed then that we could upload it on our podcast, and he'd upload it on his. So um, we spoke all about the psychology of coaching, skill development, and skill acquisition, positive and negative transfer of training, um, just training in general coaching in general and life in general a little bit as well and business so um, I think you're really going to enjoy the episode Peter is a strength and conditioning coach he works predominantly in Gaelic games Gaelic football and hurling and we spoke a little bit about kind of Gaelic football and hurling in the episode and if you don't know what those sports are don't worry they're just that portion of conversation I will just say applies to anyone that's thinking about skill development skill acquisition or any kind of field sport or any kind of sport to be honest in general so uh that portion of the conversation still applies to you it's just about skills and good drill how to create good drills how to create a, an environment where people learn a, t- a team environment where people learn so that definitely applies to you uh pd has a great podcast the pd performance podcast so if you're interested um you should check that out as well loads of great episodes there loads of guests loads of good solo episodes and i'll put the links down below to give pd a follow uh in the show notes i'll put to give him a follow on social media i think you'll really enjoy the show if you do maybe you can give it a share for us just tag me and pd that would be very helpful to share it on instagram or something like that but apart from that i hope you enjoy the episode and here you go david gray we're finally set up. Round two. Yeah. Round three. Round three. Uh, two guys that probably need some technicians in here to get this going and get this off the ground a little bit quicker. But I'm happy to have you on the PD Performance Podcast for the second time. Delighted, in fact. And I'm delighted to be down in Waterford in DGR HQ as well, which is a fantastic setup that you have here. Thank you, Pete. Um First in-person one in DGR HQ, as you call it. So I'm happy it's with you. Thanks for coming down. I'm delighted and I'm delighted to be in the hot seat here Mm -hmm. where you're usually seated. uh, Not in that chair, though. Not in this chair. I have a good chair. You have daddy's chair here. (laughs) That's Kira's chair. But she got upgraded after a couple of years to that chair from she had a bench out there. She had that toy table and uh, a weight bench. And that was her chair for two years. And then she proved herself. She got a nice Ikea chair. So she still doesn't have a nice leather chair yet. Do the two of you work here together quite often? Do you prefer to have that one-on-one or like immediate access if something's going wrong? Or do you split it up? She prefers to be at home, working at home. And when I'm seeing clients online or in person, like she can't be in the room when I'm even an online client. Like sometimes she's like, oh, I'll just put in my earphones. Like, no, you just, and she knows that too. So then it's not good. But if I can't twist her arm to come out here with me for three hours and we have something to work on, that's way better because we're both like trying to keep each other focused. Um, but that's not good for a marriage either. How is, 
like everything going with Kira in terms of her transition through the business because I, is she trying to get out there and be more of a face for DGR because I heard her on the podcast doing an ad recently as well mm-hmm. as you had Chris do as well I mm-hmm. suppose but it seems that she's getting more comfortable being a presence um it, it's she's happy with what she's doing she's very much involved like at the start she was just she just came in and was like okay I'm I'm gonna figure this shit out for you I'm gonna help with like the admin side then she just she's doing like organizing all the events she's doing all the emails she's doing like a little bit of she started editing the podcast for a while and we needed that so she's doing loads of stuff and I actually have to like sometimes like step back and actually say like well done to her because it's easy to just brush over that a little bit like I get the credit like where it's or my it's like my name my face I'm helping the clients but I have to step back and I said to her one day I was like the amount of skills that you've learned over the last year and the amount of things that you've done has been really good and she's happy to just work in the background but for the ad reads I just want to take like mess as much as I can so like you met dad there like I was just laughing to myself I was on a plane one day I was like I should get dad to do an ad read or I should get like fucking my 12 year old cousin or something to do an ad read and just like take the piss but it would also snap people out like because they wouldn't expect to hear my dad saying hello guys like David's dad here (laughs) by lower body basis so like to me that's just funny and I just want to do more funny stuff like you want to have fun with it like and that's that's what keeps you engaged in business and keeps you engaged in the game, as yeah. they say, is trying to have as much fun with it as you possibly can. Yeah. But you're also attracting a specific type of client that, sure, you're going to attract people that are very serious and are in pain and need to get out of it. But also you're going to attract people that can see the funny side of things, can have a bit of crack, mm-hmm. which are the people that you want to work with generally. And they need to see the funny side of it. They, like when you're in pain or in your, my words, and like I get to work with loads of healthy athletes who are everything is going well for them as well. But like even those people like are are very much like it's often like very serious and so so on. And you just have to have fun. Like you just have to take the piss. And I like yesterday. Have you ever heard of a mortal technique? Yeah, the rapper. Yeah, he's unreal. So I was listening to one of his songs. The point of no return yesterday, and I was playing. Oh no, it was on. It was on the. It's coming back from London, and I was playing. Like, I was Kira. I want this to be our intro music for our podcast. She's just like, no, you are not in any way black enough or like cool, just, enough. cool enough for this. And I was just like, but it's so fucking. So I just have stupid ideas like that. But um, I just just take the piss and have fun with it. Like. So Kira reigns in right? yeah, yeah. a little bit. That's her real job. It's just it is babysitting. Yeah. It is training me in. But I would rather she had to do that than the opposite. Because most people are too far in the opposite. They're fucking afraid to do anything like mm. that. They're just not good at their job. They just don't have fun. They're afraid to say anything or do anything different than a scientific or the, the PhD of whoever didn't say that one exercise. There's no research to support it. Like, what like what are you even doing here like use your eyes use your you use your senses and make your up your own mind then yes we can use research and all that to support what we're doing but everything doesn't have to be so serious all the time no you have to push boundaries as well and try different things exactly. and 
you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea all the time. Like it seems that you're coming to terms with that a little bit more now. You're more willing to, not that you weren't in the past, but more willing to say something that maybe a lot of people won't agree with. Mm-hmm. Is am. that something that you're navigating? Uh, I am trying, not trying. I'm just being, yeah, I'm just being more myself. And actually the more that I do that, the more, well, I'm also discovering who myself is like, which is, I know that sounds a bit silly, but like that is the case. Like I'm discovering what I like, what I don't like, what like how far I am willing to push it. Um, I'm not trying to be anyone else. I'm trying to be more of me. And the more I do that, the more I find that actually I annoy less people. Rather than even if I say something that's considered controversial or would be kind of annoying to some people, they seem to have less problem with it because it's just like, oh, well, he's just fucking. He's just saying what he thinks, like, rather than faking it. You know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just think also there is this other side to that, which is, like, the more you push the boundary, the more you start to say, like, semi-controversial things, which I don't do that much of, but people will let you away with that. Like, you're not going to be shocked when you see Donald Trump saying something fucking ridiculous. But if... Leo Varadkar said it, you might be, which is for anyone who's not from Ireland listening, yeah, it's like, yeah, so like he might, you will be shocked when he said something, but like, so yeah, you can kind of build a little bit of a personality around, well, I'm not afraid to say what I think. And that's the power of authenticity. And it's something that will help you to connect better with your clients or your athletes that you're working with as well is just being yourself and telling them like, it's, it's great and you have to be aware of their emotions and aware of human psychology. But at times as a coach or a therapist, you might ask them, how did that feel? And they say, yeah, not great. And then you say, yeah, it was, it was shit. <laughs> and you have to be willing to say that to them and they might get a laugh out of that. But they'll also say, look, at least he's not sugarcoating it. He's telling me what I need to hear to improve and solve this problem that mm-hmm. we're here trying to solve. Mm-hmm. He's not just trying to take my money and keep me coming back, which yeah. is an issue in the in the industry, I suppose, when we're so, and an issue in the wider world as well, that yeah. we're so worried about trying to not make anybody feel bad in any way or to, to say something controversial that we're not really being ourselves or saying what we think. Yeah. And you're getting more gains out of saying what you think yeah. than you're not. But I've, I've tried to always be that, like that with my clients and it's, particularly prevalent in the pain science world where they're trying to be so careful with every, like your words are so powerful mm-hmm. and they are, and you can't say stupid shit because even you say something small, which is a throwaway comment about you have a bad back, for example, like people will take that to heart and remember that. But that has made people like so scared and so careful with their words, which they should be careful but now there's some sugarful things mm-hmm. in the other way. And it's like, oh, like, okay, that, the exercise that you just did, like, oh, brilliant, excellent. I can't even say, well, no, I, I would rather you did it in a different way. So I just try and reframe it where it's like, actually, if you're doing a crap, I might kind of tell you it's a bit crap. We'll have a laugh about it being crap. And then I'll reframe it in that, like, can you feel like it feels it feels good for you to do it this way or look how well you're performing, even though your hip can't move in any way the way we would like it to. So imagine how it's going to feel when your hip actually starts to move 
or when you actually start to sleep better or when you do all these things. So I just re- always reframe it in a positive way, but not trying to sugarcoat it too much for people. But that's incredibly important as well. I know I use the SHIT word, but like even if you're talking about the activity and their execution of the task, it's okay for their execution to be bad mm-hmm. in that isolated moment, but you're also framing it in a way that is, you are not bad at it, but that is bad quality. And I am demanding more of you yeah. because I know that you're capable of more. Yeah. And that's the job of the coach or therapist is to guide or motivate the athlete and also help them believe that they can access better execution of the task that they're trying to execute. Yeah, 100%. Is that something that you are talking about a lot in the seminars and the teaching opportunities that you've been running over the last couple of months? Are you talking a lot about psychology or are you delving more into the biomechanics side of things? Um, so everything I try to do has a basis in psychology and like all of the things that we do in workshops where we're taking people through from like the very first day someone might come in all the way up to onto like high level plyometrics and sprinting change of direction and stuff and it's viewed as a progression and, and it doesn't have to be taken exactly as a progression again because I have like a, it's called like a rehab and performance workshop and I don't want people to think, oh, I don't rehab athletes or clients, so I can't come. It's it's just like, okay, these are all the skills that I would like to teach someone to learn how to move. So it doesn't matter. I would do it with a healthy athlete or a not healthy athlete. But everything, it's there's always going to be the questions along the way of from, from the people in the workshop and from their clients of, why am I doing this exercise? Why am I doing it in that way? Um, Like, does that mean what the way I currently move is wrong or bad or all these things. So those questions are inevitably going to crop up. And even if some people don't ask you those questions, that's kind of rooted in their mind already. So everything we do is rooted in like human psychology and everything, every emotion that someone has is, it does come back to that. I think it's important for people to understand that. And I try with my stuff, like, I do I do stupid things I say stupid things and I let my emotions get in the way and then I do try and like circle back sometimes I have the awareness to circle back and say why the fuck did I say that or why did I think that and I spoke I think I spoke on someone's podcast or my podcast about this with like jiu-jitsu for example I just started that and we were doing a move and I was just thinking like in my mind I was like I am never going to get this which just didn't make sense because everyone else who's done jiu-jitsu for three weeks longer than me could already do it. So why why was there just this illogical thought that I'm not going to get it? And I analyzed that in the car afterwards. Like, that is the most illogical. Every skill I've ever practiced, I ended up getting better at. But in that moment, it was an emotional attachment or trying to put myself down. So this is what's going on in people's minds. And I think it's important to at least, we don't have to be psychologists, but to be aware of this kind of, stuff did you catch that thought like immediately post or did you only notice it when you were in the car afterwards i noticed it during but i analyzed it afterwards i noticed it during was like oh shut up like you just practice it and then i analyzed it afterwards what is that about so it's that's what's happening people are trying to do 
a deadlift or something like that or a- any movement, the simple movements like that. That's what's happening. People are like, I'm never going to fucking get this. And they're not saying it out loud to you. And they don't even realize they're saying that to themselves, but they are. Mm-hmm. 100% they are. And that's why like your words in that moment can reinforce that belief that they have. Or it can be like, you're not really getting this, are you? Uh, you know, in that kind of a way. And they'll be like, no, I'm fucking not. And it's like, okay, don't worry. The reason we're doing it is because I actually knew you'd probably struggle. Because it may, it, it's actually even more important to me that we get it. Because this is a skill that we're going to have to try and learn and get better at. And that reframes it. It's like, why would you expect to be good at it? We haven't. The reason I chose these exercises are because they're the ones that you're struggling at. So let's get better at them. Yeah. And even the hinge, just the, there's a hinge exercise that I teach that does require some coaching. And I have a look, like two kind of um two kind of things that I say to a client, especially online, because it can be tricky. I'll say, number one, before we start this, you're probably going to hate me because it's going to be hard to get. And I'm going to be quite picky with it. And so don't hate me for that. Okay, deal. And they'll be like, deal. So at least at least five minutes into the exercise when they're struggling they already know that they're going to struggle and I've preempted that. So I'm handling that objection before we start. And then the second one is when we get it, you're going to hate me because it's going to feel disgusting. You're going to hate me even more then. Are we happy to go ahead? Yeah, let's go. And then there's no objections then. I've just handled them before we start. There's a couple of things that came to mind there. One is I see the last, and you're, you're saying you've worked with, athletes and and clients all over the world and you see it universally but I definitely see it in GAA athletes quite a bit that the word can't like Mm -hmm. is used so often and I've actually with my ladies team I've banned the word can't in the gym unless it's uh, used with the word yet Mm -hmm. that's the only context that they're allowed to use it in in the gym because I was just getting I can't do that I'm not able like and it's fine if you're you can't do it now or you're not able yet, mm-hmm. but just throwing a black and white broadcast, I'll never be able to do it is not helpful at all. It's not a growth mindset and it's not what I'm trying to facilitate as a coach. It's not going to help us to be better. Yeah. The second thing is we wouldn't be very good at what we do if we just gave things to our clients and athletes that they could do a hundred out of a hundred times I had a conversation with two coaches on Monday about in football training and the use of drills and they said look they're they're messing up in the drills quite a bit and I was like yeah Mm -hmm. they're meant to Mm -hmm. it's training it's meant we're meant to make mistakes and then they quizzed me and asked should we stick with the same drills until they can do it with no mistakes and I was like absolutely not because then you're not really training the skill yeah. you're just training that drill to a high degree so they'll be able to do that drill but that's not going to help them on the field of play yeah. and the context with which we're talking about this a lot of this and what we'll be talking about for the duration of the podcast for the listeners that aren't from Ireland is David also has a background in Gaelic games so we're talking about Gaelic football and hurling and you would have seen as an athlete that the style of coaching that has been used in those endeavors for the last 20 years, probably forever, has been quite authoritative mm-hmm. and quite fixed and black and white. But it is absolutely changing for the better over the last five, 10 years. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's important to ask, like, why? So why are they failing or why are they struggling at that drill? Because I can think of times where we were training and we're doing a drill and I'm not engaged in any way in that drill because it's fucking boring. And it's hand passing around in a square. And once you're good at hand passing around in a square, it's hand passing in a star shape or something like this. And if you look, I think my brother said it one day, he said, if you ever want to know is this a good drill or not, look at the best players versus the shit players. And if the shit players look as good or better than the best players, you know it's the wrong drill. And I thought he put, that was just perfect. And that really framed how I looked at training because the reason the shit players don't look good is because it's fucking boring. They're not engaged in the drill whatsoever. And the reason the, and like they might not look bad, let's say, but they don't, they, you, someone who came up to that team for the first time, they wouldn't be able to pick out who the best players were based on skills. They might say, yeah, he looks bigger and stronger, but skill base, not better. But the reason that they don't stand out is because there's no demand on decision-making in the game, in that drill. And that's fucking 10 years of GA where we were just doing the same drills or different drills. And then you go into a game-based situation, the best guys just stand out immediately because they actually have to make a decision. I need to run in this way to get the ball. When I get the ball, I need to make the right decision with the ball and so on. Do I take someone on? Do I carry? Do I kick? Do I take a shot? That is where really like the best are separated from. The elite are separated from sub-elite and so on. And it has to be, that's, that's, I'm just like, you hear me getting like slightly angry about that because I feel like frustration. Yeah, frustration. It's just like the fucking endless drill. Yes, people are failing. It's because some of the time it's because the drill is just bullshit and no, there's no engagement there. Other times it's too difficult. And you need to think about that with regards to like that 80-20 rule of it should be relatively successful. That's easy to put to measure with regards to like shooting and stuff like that. It should be shooting from a place where you're scoring about 80% of your shots. So 20% is okay to miss. If it goes the other way, then maybe it's too hard. So I think it's important to try and figure out why they're failing. And ask them as well. That's yeah. that doesn't happen. Yeah, but you can't shit people. No, but you, <laughs> if you ask a group who's going to talk, it's yeah. not the shit people. You know, it's, well, it's, yeah, it's well, sure that's going to shit. They have a lot to say. Yeah. Um, but generally, the team leaders are going to be the ones that speak, and that can be a problem as well yeah, in yeah. a way. Yeah. In that sometimes it can be good to split up yeah. the groups into subgroups so that you're getting a more universal response back yeah. and you're actually finding out what people think yeah. and they have to be willing as well to say this is bullshit yeah and you have two type of, types of athletes or two types of teams that they've worked with and you'll have athletes that won't say boo to the coach to just get on with it mm-hmm. and then you'll have the other side athletes that everything bullshit mm-hmm. but then if you ask them right what would you think would be better yeah if they don't have a solution yeah. or they don't provide any sort of additional type of thinking yeah. i'm inclined to say okay well don't be just coming to me identifying problems we're here to identify solutions yeah 100% that just goes back to like the type of people that you're working with if the team is successful they're going to be lads who are serious about trying to get better lads and girls who are serious about trying to get better they want the best for the team they want the training to be as challenging as possible sometimes too much in that direction so you need to, and I, I don't mean like with the drills that like 
you should forget about the shit lads. But it's important to remember you're trying to bring the shitter people up a level, not trying to bring the good people down a level mm-hmm. to make because that is a that is a recipe for disaster in training. You need to challenge people to if you want to get on the ball and you want to make the right decisions in a game, you have to find a way to get on the ball in training and make the right decisions. And if your if your basic skills are lacking when you get to senior level, like soloing a ball or in soccer, like just dribbling a ball, passing a ball, if those basic skills are still missing at that stage, then you need to work on that in your own time. Mm-hmm. Because we can't just spend every train and working on super basic skills and not the actual game-based scenarios that are going to make the team better. So, but that that comes back to people, individuals taking the responsibility and a lot of them, I won't even say won't because I know players that really struggle with basic skills even at senior level and they probably were never fucking told you need to work on this. Just simply like you need to work on this in a nice way. Get up 10 minutes before training and do your kicking, do your whatever. And maybe they just never thought of that, which sounds obvious, but they probably didn't. I think as well as that, though, and I spoke about it on the last episode, a lot of them don't understand how little you have to do to improve mm-hmm. at a skill. They think if you're telling them you need to work on this shot from this angle, they'll be like, right, and he take 100 shots. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that, as you just said there, if they get up 10, 15 minutes beforehand, and to take 10 to 15 fully focused shots, mm-hmm. but they do it consistently, it's going to be more beneficial yeah. to developing that skill than doing 100 balls one week and then forget about it the next week. Yeah, 100%. Skill development, I talked about this in our workshops a little bit as well, with regards to plyometrics, because I view movement as like skill, right? Mm-hmm. Movement, there's different skills you need to be able to do. And I kind of break that down into a the gate cycle. Um, so, so I won't go into it, it gets a bit detail but i break it down into the gate cycle and then break the skills down that we need to learn to make us successful at different parts of the gate cycle and that ends up with us just doing simple exercises at the end of that and we keep breaking that down but um what was i going to say plyos oh yeah plyometrics so uh oh no what was i going to say about plyometrics you're going to say that you view everything through a lens that's a skill and we're talking about skill development as part of developing an athlete in a closed scenario yeah so that you can further enhance their performance. Oh yeah, yeah. Tools. You said a little and not, little like you don't yeah, micro too much. Yeah. yeah. So with regards to plyos, like that's that's the thing that I talk about in the workshops is it's the exact same thing as someone going out and doing plyometrics, like l- learning to kick and stuff like that. It's the same thing as someone going out to do plyos once a month and just hammering it as much as possible. It's not gonna it's not gonna help you, and there's a big risk of getting injured. Now, if you have a very high training age with regards to a lot of plyos, yeah, maybe once a month is enough to top it up or once every couple of weeks. But for most people, when they're trying to learn the skill, it needs to be little and often. But with, with plyos, it is a tricky thing because there's high demand on connective tissues. So, like, you need to do it often enough to learn the skill, when to preactivate, how much to preactivate the co-contractions, when to let go of that tension, none of that is a conscious thing and it can't be. And it can't be like, you can't use words to speak that into people. They need just exposure to contacts. And that's the tricky thing because if you don't have a good training age, then you're going to stress the connective tissues in a way that they can't handle. And now you get injured before you get good enough at the skill. They need both though. 
they yeah. do need the cues as well. Some of them, at Maybe. least, that I, I've been dealing with in terms of we pool our athletes into what they need. Mm-hmm. And typically, one of the groups, the hoppers, they call themselves, uh, they're the group that run into Achilles tendinopathies most often throughout the season. Why are they the hoppers? Because I give them pliers. That's what they call themselves. Yeah. Um, but I see, and I've spoken about it previously in terms of we're assessing their counter movement jump and their drop jump. Typically, they're going to have a decent counter movement jump and not, or a squat jump, and they're not going to be as good at the, the drop jump because yeah. they're less reactive athletes. Yeah. Uh, but I was throwing the volume at them and they were doing it and whatnot, but a couple of them were doing it and they will figure it out over time with the volume. But then with one in particular, when I gave them the cue that, look, it's not as high as you possibly can go. It's just as as short amount of time on the ground as you can possibly Mm -hmm. do. We saw his RSI go up by like point Mm -hmm. two, like immediately. Mm -hmm. So I took that personally that I wasn't communicating it effectively. Mm -hmm. Sure, what you're doing matters and how much volume you're doing and just getting exposure to it matters. Mm-hmm. But the language around how your coach to do it is mm-hmm. incredibly important as well. Mm-hmm. Cues, no, cues are important or can be important, but that person still needs reps. Yeah, they need to figure it out they then after they've got the cues. Yeah, or like, so you can you can keep telling someone about plyos, you can keep giving yeah. them cues, but they have to put that into practice. They have to get the reps into the bank so it becomes an unconscious movement pattern because it's a reflexive movement pattern. So you can't talk someone into plyometric ability. Mm-hmm. They and and he had that ability in his body already that you cued him. He just he just didn't understand the drill well enough mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Like not not that that's your fault because the other people did. He just didn't, mm-hmm. or he thought he did, and while he wasn't actually performing it the way you wanted. So that's a slightly different thing. But you haven't made him better at plyometrics there. No, you have just like given him a cue to change how he did that drill. Yeah, but to get better at plyos, he needs to do more of those types of plyometrics, and you can't you can't speak that into existence most of the time with movement you can't speak it into existence they have to you can coach it don't get me wrong i'm heavy on coaching i think where people are trying to push us coaches in the direction of don't coach mm-hmm. which is bullshit yeah um so i'm heavy on like coaching but you have to get reps in you have to feel it yeah and like what comes to mind for me obviously because of my bias is goal kicking in rugby because that's what i did uh-huh. I could visualize and think about doing the perfect goal kick as much as I possibly wanted. And sure, it might help to a certain degree, but it only helps if you're actually getting reps in as well and feeling how you're kicking the ball, how it feels when it goes through the posts. And now I'm getting into golf and I know you're getting into jujitsu as well. So we're back at the basic level. Oftentimes when you're a novice, when you do it correctly, you don't necessarily know exactly what you did, no. but you'll know that, wow, that, that felt good that time. So I'm going to try and chase that and do that again. Yeah. And that's why they need reps. It's the same principle with players because everything's a skill. Yeah. Feel is important. Sensory is the most important thing. And and you, like, I'm sure you had the same experience where when I was, when I was kicking freeze in Gaelic football, I would... Like early in a game, you'd be nervous and stuff, right? 
and you might get an easy enough free hopefully and you'd kick it and it would go over the bar but you'd fucking know like people would be like oh great score blah 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 because they're just looking at the end result and I just know that did not come off the sweet spot of my foot and I'm more nervous for the next kick now because that did not feel right so I was judging always on that feel. It was like, I fucking struck that. And if I kicked it wide, like, but I knew I struck it lovely, I just slightly miscalculated the wind or something, yeah. I would be much more confident than a shitty one that went over the bar. So, like, that feel is so important. I've had many an argument with my old lad about those kicks that went over the bar. And he said, Jesus, you kicked very well. And I said, mm-hmm. no, I didn't. He said, you scored them all. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I kicked well. Yeah, yeah. I could kick much better and put them over the bar as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's something that only people who have tried to push the boat on skill development actually understand people. That, that's what, that's why armchair people looking at sport and they've never tried, and don't get me wrong. I didn't play sport at a high level, but they just don't understand the, what these athletes are going through. And I that's I why understand. we understand because we didn't get to that level, I, I, but we still pushed it as I, hard as we possibly could. I don't understand what they're going through, but I've spoken to enough athletes by now that I'm like, there's so much going on under the hood in terms of like how they feel on a given day and how they are trying to get into a certain state to perform well. And their level of intelligence is on another level mm-hmm. in relation to movement execution of skill they'll be talking about things that you wouldn't even think to to reference or or to focus on and that comes back to what we're talking about with the good players and the not so good players in terms of pattern recognition and then execution of the skill you can be a very very good executor of skill but if you can't recognize the pattern and make the right decision it's no good to you Mm -hmm. yeah you can get away with being not so great at the skill, but being good at pattern recognition and mm-hmm. decision making. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about, uh, I was watching the new Formula One series last night and I was thinking about, I was just watching Max Verstappen and like, obviously he's a bit of a dickhead, right? But I was just driving today, Not doesn't matter that I was driving, but I was just driving, I was thinking about that. It's just like, the, 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 the mindset that someone like his, him has to get into to drive for 60 laps or whatever the hell it is in the most intense, like pushing the boat as much as possible. Like in that sport, that that breaking 0.1 second later into every single turn than your opponent is the difference. And accelerating a little bit harder in or out of the turn is the difference. I was just like, it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise that he gets on the radio. Like when someone says something, he's like, ah, what the fuck? Like he's, He's on edge because of course he's a fucking dickhead. He can't not. Of course he can. Sorry, he can. Like different athletes. Maybe Lewis doesn't do that as much and stuff. And he's been way more successful. But you just can't compare yourself to these people who are living on the very edge of like their, their ability. They have to, not that they have to, but he has to get into that mindset to get the best out of yourself. Yeah. And that might change over time. Yeah. Like I'm sure it will change over time as he gets more comfortable and confident with himself and maybe the pressure comes off a little bit. But the the same edge that allows him to go harder into a turn is probably the same thing that's getting him fucking screaming on the radio, you know? So it's hard to take one without the other. 
you can't because your biggest strength is always your biggest weakness and to touch on something that happened at the weekend in terms of one person that stands out from what you're talking about there is Johnny Sexton mm-hmm. captain winning the, the Grand Slam goes off heroes like applause standing ovation top point scorer in the Six Nations oh he, he might be Ireland's greatest ever player he's amazing what a leader what a a, a talisman what a player two years ago he got taken off with 20 minutes to go mm-hmm. and he got pissed off mm-hmm. and people said, oh, it's not good enough. He shouldn't be the captain. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah. So if he had been okay, laddie da, to get taken off, yeah. would Ireland have won that Grand Slam? Yeah. We can't say yes or no, but you can't change the type of person that he is. You have to take the good with the bad. Yeah. You might have a forward in GAA that goes out and takes a huge amount of shots and some of them are crazy one day they might all go over the next day they won't all go over are you willing to put them in the next day in the event that they might all go over and it's the same in business as well in that your biggest strength is always going to be your biggest weakness as well and that's probably something that to reflect back Kira is complimenting you and she she helps you with what you're not so good at Mm-hmm. 100% yeah yeah and what like I just I can try and be good at that stuff and I could like of course I could because we can all get good at no matter what we focus on we can pretty much all get good at if someone else in the world can do it like you can do it apart from that's why sometimes I reference Elon Musk and I think people t- one time pe- I think people thought I was comparing myself to him it was the opposite I was saying like I can't, I can't do what he, that someone like that does. They just have different level of brain power. Mm-hmm. Um, but other people, like other business people or other people in the industry, we're all on the same level. No one is more really intelligent in this industry. Like, yeah, of course there's levels, slight levels, but it's not like the difference between, the difference between me and Elon Musk, which is like, this is no matter what, I could spend a thousand years on this art and I wouldn't have, I just wouldn't have the ability to do that. So, think we're all just on the same level and and you can just learn if someone else can do it you can learn it too but if i spent my time learning like how to edit podcasts and all this stuff it would just take me away from what i'm good at and what i what i'm really good at and what i need to get better at so just trying to prioritize as much as i can Hey guys, David here. Just a very short break from the show. Just wanted to remind you, DGR Interactive, our members-only platform. Uh, there's 800 coaches and therapists uh, learning with us every week in there. It's pretty much like our own little mini university where there's over 200 videos that breaks down everything about movement that you can imagine. Practicals, theories, case studies, uh, biomechanics, rehab, strength training, plyometrics, absolutely everything, each by body part and all that stuff. So if you're interested in movement, you want to get better results with your clients and ultimately have a better career, then I strongly recommend you join us. So I'll put the link in the show notes for DGR Interactive. What are those qualities that you think you are quite good at that you do consciously lean into? Um, I think I'm good at... I think I'm just good at looking at movement. Just looking at movement, analyzing movement, coaching movement, and explaining yeah. what I'm seeing. Conveying it as well. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want, I'm, you know what? I don't even, I don't even need, I feel like I need to say this, which is like, I don't want that to sound like an arrogant thing, but I'm at the stage where I'm like, I just, 
I just like other enough other people have told me that like they like how I speak about movement. So think I actually I can't I don't need to say like oh I don't want this to sound arrogant. I think I'm pretty good at doing that. And that's just me being honest. Like it's not false modesty say whatever i just think i'm pretty good at looking at movement seeing it but that's again that's not a special thing it's just fucking reps i've just done more of it than most people because i had an unhealthy obsession for 10 years with looking at movement trying to coach it trying to figure out my body because i was so struggling so much with different injuries and concussions and stuff like that so it's just more reps it's not anything smarter absolutely and obviously you're you have a skill of observing people and then breaking it down and knowing what you're seeing in terms of the movement. But I believe from following you for the last three years, the communication and the coherence and simplifying everything is a real factor in your success. Mm -hmm. Is that something that has come semi-naturally or do you always consciously think, okay, how am I going to convey this to the person that is the least able to understand it? Um, I think I'm not that smart. So that's how I try to think about movement myself. I'm not particularly intelligent and like very, very average. So I just look at movement and that's how, like that's what is like an analogy that I'm using or whatever it is. Like that's kind of how I'm making sense of it. So it just makes sense for me to communicate it in that way. And I've gotten I've gotten deeper and deeper and deeper into understanding movement and like I don't talk about the complexities a lot only when I like I'm mentoring someone and we need to dive deep but that always that complexity always ends up with simplicity that's what I don't think people understand in the business like you're are in the industry we're at a stage now where people think like thinking is considered overthinking Thinking now is considered overcomplication. Certainly, like in the pain or rehab world, people have a, basically a list of exercises in their mind, which is, okay, someone comes into me with foot pain, I'm going to give them towel, towel scrunches. With calf, Achilles, or shin splints, or anything around their perineal issues, they're getting a calf raise. Anything from the knee up to like the thoracolumbar jun junction, they're getting glute clams or some form of that. Anything from like the lowest part of the thorax up to the skull and out through the fingers, they're getting band pull aparts. And anything, anyone who tries to analyze anything outside of that is considered overcomplication. And that is just embarrassing. It's actually disgraceful the way the industry is, the, the lack of trying to even just think about something. I don't mind if you use those exercises. I have no problem. But at least critically think and explain to me why you're using that for that specific case. But... Anything outside of anything, and thinking is now considered overthinking, and that's insane. You can hear the same frustration in your voice there as when talking about your career. Athletics yeah. is that a mission of DGR to improve industry standards? Is that a conscious mission of yours, or do you have even a conscious mission that your your goal is? This is what we're trying to do as a company. Not really. I don't think so. I am. I, um, I like. I don't know. You look at all these. I worked for lots of companies. I did lots of weird jobs over the years. They all had mission statements. I mm -hmm. fucking never read one. And if I read one, it certainly didn't mean anything to me. 
I just was trying to, I, I think we're just, I'm trying to just every day, just be a little bit better if I can, not even in a conscious way. It just makes sense for me to, when I'm working, I'm just trying to coach a little bit better than I did yesterday. Not even consciously. It's just like, oh, yesterday I made that mistake and I probably won't say that word again. And I won't even like analyze that. It would just naturally happen. Um, so I don't know. I think our my goal at the moment is to we move more towards like coaches and therapists and helping them understand movement and hopefully yeah, understand movement and coach movement and ultimately ultimately that needs to result in predictable and repeatable results for people. Not because anything could help anyone, but we want something that's relatively predictable and relatively repeatable. And that's where our system has kind of ended up. And for some weird twist of fate, it's just, it's it's made that kind of thought process and the kind of thought process that I have has made its way across the industry to a lot of like corners of the world and a lot of great people around the world using it and tweaking it and all that stuff, which is really cool. And we're just going to keep going in that direction. I think their mission is, twofold help people who need help like like I was an athlete I was struggling like help that type of person who needs that help to get that help better than I did so that's kind of one mission that's always in the background and that I found that the best way of me doing that is to train the other coaches and therapists and then the that goes along with that mission kind of is helping coaches and therapists this is probably my bigger one now is helping them have more fun enjoy their job earn more money work with the people that they want to work with and not and realize that like this can be a good job and you can help a shit ton of people not pretend to help them because that is like talk to like the amount of messages i get from physios and therapists in the industry who fucking hate their job because they know what they're doing is not helping people. Imagine going to work every day. Imagine you going down training two or three days a week with a team and knowing for a fact that I am not actually helping someone. They would be better off going to a personal trainer than coming to me and actually getting fit and strong and stuff because all I'm doing is rubbing them and they're, they're feeling better for six hours and then they wake up tomorrow and they're the same again. That is what people are doing. And they... It, it, it's mad to me that some people will ask like oh what's the price of a workshop oh that's a little bit too expensive for me I understand it don't get me wrong like it's it, it's a big commitment for someone to pay and come for a weekend and all that stuff but you ever hear in the crypto community um uh in the community like they'll say the the meme is like ngm mgm I not going to make it like this person isn't going to make it like some people aren't even willing to step back for a weekend from seeing 10 clients a day and come to a workshop which is going to help them learn things that will make them get better results with those clients that's the survival mentality though it's such a short that they have it's a short-term yeah. thing though but they don't even realize that they're doing it yeah but then people aren't going to make it no they hate because their job. You need to look long term. Yeah. But we've spoken about this previously on the first podcast episode about how you have to go through a period where you experience a lot of stress and you overreach yourself yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're going to realize your potential down the line. Yeah. And not seeing those 10 clients and spending some money that in your mind is like a lot of money 
is uncomfortable but yeah. you have to lean into yeah. that discomfort if you're going to grow and improve yeah and i don't even mean our workshops it could be yeah. any yeah. workshop but they're not even willing to try something new because they know like i'm doing that's actually a really shit place to be where i'm doing just good enough enough yeah. to get by financially and just enough to kind of pretend i'm helping people <laughs> so i'm just going to stick with this and my answer my success then is just just getting more of these people in charging an extra five or a session or something like that i'm like it's, lazy. it's laziness like, though as well yeah, because the alternative is thinking. to thinking yeah <laughs> and go and doing something about it yeah. and actively trying to improve it. and like i see it with coaches that i speak to i see it with athletes as well that the lazy out is often taken. Yeah. You want to talk about getting better, yeah. but you don't actually want to get better. You don't want to grow. You don't want to improve. Yeah. And actions are going to speak a lot louder than words in terms of what you're doing. And I think once you've gone through that and you've attempted to improve and maybe you have gone through a period of growth or you have improved, you're well able to identify the bluffers mm-hmm. and you're able to see who is invested in improving Mm -hmm. and who is not who just wants to talk about it yeah but i think something that you're quite good at and that's why i wanted to ask you about your mission was using your mindset and framing things and frameworks to your benefit long term and you're you're conscious of your own psychology and you're conscious of what drives you on in any endeavor be it business be it uh in jujitsu be it anything at all like even just catching yourself there in the car on the way back from jujitsu with that thought you were able to consciously reframe it and it's something that's probably benefit your clients as well that you're able to help them to reframe things and reframe things for them Mm -hmm. what's the question the question is is that a conscious process for you Mm, no i don't think so I think I was I was always interested in psychology, just which fucked me up for a while. And I can actually remember. I don't think I've ever mentioned this. I told this story. It's not even a story, but I remember. I remember being with all my friends, like guys and girls, when we were like fourteen, and I was always like the biggest messer ever, right? Just a fucking messer, take the piss. Still am in a lot of ways. Like if I go out with the lads, I'm just ripping the piss constantly, and it's just to have fun. And they'll do the same, right? But um, I can actually remember leaving a situation where we must have been maybe 15 or something like that. I mean, the biggest laugh ever. I was just taking the piss constantly. And I was walking out of the house or I was getting a lift home or whatever with that or something like that. And I remember thinking, when I'm 18 or 19, am I going to be able to still just act the bollocks and be really stupid because and just mess because that is... Like, that is how I get laughs now. And do I always want to be the person who's just ripping the piss all the time and getting laugh, like cheap laughs in that way? And I kind of stopped doing that then for a while. I changed my personality based on like that bit of analysis, which is so fucking weird that I think back now. Because that was my personality. But then I was like, is this always going to work? Like analyzing your personality in that way. Why am I why am I looking for cheap laughs? Yeah, why do I need the lads to laugh at me? It's such a weird thing to analyze that. And that like made me conscious about how I was acting in instead of just being myself, like. So But you were being yourself. I was being myself. You were getting rewards yeah. from getting the lads to laugh at you. But that was me. 
But yeah. then I analyzed it and I was like, do I want that? Like, what happens when I'm 18 and I can't, can't do that anymore? And I didn't realize, like, actually, the longer you can keep a hold of that, the better. <laughs> Not the other way around. So I don't know. To answer your question, I don't know. I just have always been, maybe that's just overthinking. I don't know. Maybe it's a characteristic of people that do well in life. I don't know. Think things. But you 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 have overthought things in the past yeah. and maybe it's helped you to simplify things in the here and now because you've realized I've been thinking about that for yonks and it's not to any benefit. I'm just gonna go back to being myself and have a laugh. Yeah. And getting the cheap laughs. Yeah. So look, there's a balance. And I think hopefully like my overthinking of things again, it like always should lead to simplicity for other people with regards to like what the teaching I'm doing to people or helping trying to help coaches and therapists. If people, I don't care if people think that the stuff that I'm saying is stupid or anything like that. I really don't mind that much. Um, But I don't want, I, I, I don't want people to not think that's all. So like go to whatever coach that you think or teacher that you think is good are absolutely fine. If they're tearing my stuff apart, that's fine. But don't just say David is, David is like, this is bullshit because he's trying to think about things like that's not acceptable for me just go go and learn from more knowledge is never a bad thing if you can simplify it into predictable and repeatable results and i don't mind if that's with me or with someone else but arguing against it like actually thinking about something which that is the anti-intellectualism in the industry at the moment is bananas to me but i think as a practitioner, you need to have multiple different mentors as well, because if you only have one, you're only going to see the world through their lens and you're only going to believe that there's one way to solve everything. Whereas if you get multiple different ones, you realize there's more divergent thinking. There's one problem, but there's multiple solutions for it. Yeah. And that's a real benefit to you as a practitioner because it, it leads to reduced stress because I had this conversation with a coach that I'm working with yesterday. Okay, we have a uh, distal hamstring weakness or whatever. I'm looking at it through a strength and conditioning mm-hmm. lens. But as a prescription mm-hmm. of an exercise, there are multiple different exercises that we can attempt to, to use to address that problem. Attempt being the key word mm-hmm. there. Uh, <laughs> there. But there's not there's not one true and only way to do it. Mm-hmm. Whatever the client feels the best doing and is more likely to do and execute with high levels of intent and to a good level is going to be more likely to lead to success for them in terms of overcoming that issue down the line. Yeah. So it's not to say that you have to do an Nordic curl. Yeah. Like there's multiple different things you can do. There's no bulletproof exercises. Mm-hmm. Sorry to pick apart DGR now because you have all the bulletproof hexes. No, 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 you can do whatever. But our job as coaches is to identify what the real reason for the issue is, try and pick the most suitable stimulus to yeah. try and change that, and then to try and convince, influence the client that this is what I would like you to do mm. because someone could choose a Nordic curl yeah. because they've seen these over those guys doing Nordic curls. And actually that fucking Nordic curl could be making their hamstring worse. So the client isn't always right. No, they're not. And, but 
that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to gain their trust so that you can guide them yeah. in the direction that you believe to be the right way to go. Yeah, because there isn't there is a if you go a layer deeper on this stuff, which is there is the thing of like um the thought process of like okay, an average program done well is better than a really good program not done particularly well. I'm not so sure about that because in strength and conditioning there is a there is uh people don't have the appreciation that there's such a thing called negative transfer yeah. training so if you go and say to usain bolt the week of an olympic final oh this shitty program if you just do this well it's better than a really good program not done well okay if you only understand positive transfer training then yes but if i go and give usain bolt 10 sets of 10 back squats the week of an olympic final is that is a shit program and if he does that well is that better than him not doing a good program at all well it comes back to what we were talking about earlier in relation to gaelic games are we going to hand pass in a in a square for the duration of training or are we going to pick some game specific drills and scenarios that are going to challenge the athlete yeah and even if hang on now even you need to go a layer deeper because that hand passing drill is just useless that's what i mean but it's not negative it's only negative in terms of okay there's an opportunity cost of what we're missing out on for the most part yeah but when you give someone a shit strength and conditioning program you can injure them yeah not just like they're not getting benefits you can injure them yeah. You are giving someone Nordic curls and if they're doing it in a specific Incorrect. way, yeah. like not, I'm not saying they're going to tear their hamstring and we can't, we can't be too exact with like, this is what injured them because injury yeah. is such a, such a broad thing, let's say, and we're, we can't pinpoint it, but there is such a thing as negative transfer of training. And I know that's a, a, we're gone off route or something, but that is something that people need to get their head around. But it's ingrained in movement patterns that are so, well, sorry, I don't want to say optimal or suboptimal, mm-hmm. but it's ingrained in movement patterns that are probably not going to lead to better or even the same level of performance is going to lead to worse performance and mm-hmm. predispose them potentially mm-hmm. to injury or pain, mm-hmm. as you said. And But that comes back to not only the program, but how it's being executed as well. And yeah. um, but I understand completely what you're saying in that, like, if you give them bullshit, like, they're still going to execute it like bullshit. Mm-hmm. There's no way they could execute it well. Exactly. Um, and that's the job of the strength and conditioning coach to write the program for the individual that they believe to be mm-hmm. the best in that moment. Or Because relatively often I get, like, people who would be considered, just in Ireland, the best the top 10 footballer or top, no, sorry, like not relatively often top 10, but like top, a, a popular name that people would know in terms of footballer hurling, right? Popular name that people would know very, very well. And relatively often they will say, to, they will have come to their own conclusion that I would, they would have been better off not doing the strength and conditioning work that, that uh, sorry, not doing any strength and conditioning work that they were being given from their their coach or whoever it was, like top strength and conditioning coaches in the industry. They would have been better off for the last 12 months or two years literally doing nothing than doing what he was saying. Yeah. That is a scary thing. 
And I know it's tricky for the SSE because he's a group of athletes, yeah. but like there, it is getting to this stage, or it has gotten to this stage where a lot of people are getting worse from their training rather than better. That is the issue. That's what I was just thinking. Is it's because the coach. Well, it, it's not ever one reason, as we just said, but the coach is being spread very, very thin. Yeah. But also, they're not thinking critically about each individual athlete. And it might be partly because they don't have the time to do so or the interest in doing so. <laughs> so then they just say, this program's good enough for them. Yeah. So I'll just throw that in. But why? Because they don't have an appreciation that there's such a thing of ne- as negative transfer. They only deal with regards to volume. Yeah. Or intensity. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, we could do too much back squatting or too much intensity of runs or whatever, volume of runs. Not, oh, this exercise could be the thing that completely flares someone up, gets them to have a tight back. Maybe they end up tearing a hamstring and their season is ruined. Maybe that was the most important player for our team and like they lose their job they, they ultimately. Could lose, ultimately and and actually small stuff like that like there is players who there is players who can transform a team so for example if you remember down uh, the down team back in i don't know marty clark came back from aussie rules and he basically not on his own because there was 15 players playing but like he got them to an all the final they were a no nothing team before him and suddenly all the players around him started to look amazing. Imagine you injured that player and you just ended up with the same type of team that you always did. So like there is such a thing as negative transfer of training and one injury to one player could be the difference between your team literally going out and winning by 10 points and losing by 10 points. And the argument is like, oh, well, that player isn't going to score 20 points in that game. But one player can transform within the system. Can transform yeah. the team, and you do not want to be fucking up these players. But that's your number one rule, I suppose, is to do no harm. But, First thing you do. But they don't understand negative transfer, because the the question is always okay. This program, it's either going to make it's going to make some athletes better and some athletes not better. Mm-hmm. Not some athletes better and some athletes worse. Mm-hmm. When have you heard a strength and condition coach in the GA saying that? Some athletes, the potential is for them to get way worse doing this. Never, because it's not in their self-interest. Exactly. But does it happen? Yeah, 100%. Exactly. It happened recently with me in that I had an athlete come to me that, well, that was working with me, and the athlete is a real high-quality strength athlete, but just does not move well Mm -hmm. at all. Like, no, very little reactivity, but like, just movement quality is all over the place. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I have them pooled into groups of three in terms of what their needs are. And I did pool this athlete in question into the reactive training group, but there was still in that group that I failed to see before I referred out, there was still too much strength work in there for that athlete in mm-hmm. question. They needed their own individual one mm-hmm. where there were there was more plyos, more reactive work and less less strength work. Mm-hmm. But that's just you learning about that person and that person learning about you and But it also that. identifies to me that I wasn't conscious in that. And you have to take that on as a coach. That's what we're yeah. talking yeah, about. You know that, but I even even me like getting a chance to work more often one on one with people. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not like 
I empathize with coaches who are working with groups. That is not, I, there's a reason I don't work with big groups a lot of the time because I'm not good at that. So I'm not saying if I was in this situation, I'd be way better. I'm just saying we can acknowledge that. Like, or hopefully we can acknowledge that there is negative transfer. But even me, when I'm one with a client, I might have made the exact same, like, quote unquote, mistake. But that's just something that we can then learn from and get better and better and better as we go, where we start to learn more about that athlete and that body and his body. And that's not to say that that amount of strength work won't be right for him at a certain point exactly. in the future. Just right now, you figured out, okay, it's not right. But I just want people to acknowledge, like, at least you're acknowledging, oh, like, usually that athlete would have been like gaslighted or whatever it's called, where it's like, no, you're just fucking, you're just soft. Yeah. You just need to do more when it's actually bullshit. It's bullshit. But it's Start- not taking personal responsibility as a coach. No. What you need to do. Yeah. Which is a double-edged sword because I've took taken too much in the past yeah, as yeah. well. No, but it's own emotion. You take the emotion out of it, yeah. which is tricky, obviously, but you take the emotion out of it. Just think logically, no what's in front of you. But I just don't think coaches have the... I don't think they have the... Not ability, that's wrong, the edge, because it's not hard to do. It's just they don't have the acknowledgement that there's different types of body shapes. Yeah, everyone is in a powerlifter. Some athletes in the GA, they will go and do deadlift. They can back squat and... Trap bar or straight bar deadlift four days a week for 10 years and feel fucking amazing. That would break some of the athletes that I know. And usually they have very narrow rib cages, mm-hmm. super narrow. They cannot, they cannot hinge. And now their back squat is a hinge and their hinge is a hinge. And now they're hinging. They're basically doing a back squat in a deadlift as well. Or they're doing a deadlift in a back squat as well. And they're doing that three days a week for a couple of years. Boy, boy, your hip internal rotation it's gone. But you know the funny thing about you talking about that is the DGR interactive presentation on narrow and wide. Mm-hmm. Who did the presentation? It was you had him on the podcast. Oh, great, great, yeah. yeah. So I had tested the athletes to pull them into these three different groups, not consciously looking at their anatomy at all, but just looking at the performance. Yeah, like, and yeah, I know, I know, but. Then after Greg's presentation, I realized that without thinking about it at all, the subcategories that I put them into based on their performance metrics yeah. were the same ones yeah, Greg yeah, was yeah. talking about. Yeah. But well, I'd never thought about it previously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because that stuff has been talked about for years and years and years by good coaches. Mm. Maybe not reference like in wides and narrows and for certain angles, but they have, you use an eye, you can see the person who is more, like sometimes you'll talk about more like, muscle driven or tendon driven or whatever i'm trying not to say that i don't really i really don't like that categorization because it is it's like well well it's also telling them what they are yeah yeah but i don't like that categorization like where it actually that just spits in the face of anatomy because it's like when you need your tendons for your muscles to work and vice versa so it's not one or the other but like maybe more elastic athletes are are not more reactive less reactive yeah you can get more reactive, you can get less reactive. But if you're muscle driven, you're tendon driven, you're that way. Yeah, you're yeah. staying like that. Yeah, exactly. Hey guys, David here. Just a quick break from the show. Wanted to remind you about our new foot and Achilles program. It's over 1,000 users now. And if you're not one of those, then you definitely should be. There's so much learnings in there, helping people get from kind of sore, inflexible, immobile, not very strong feet 
all the way up to feet that can handle high levels of impact, very strong, very mobile. And you learn so much along the way, you get lifetime access. So absolutely, if you're interested in movement, I honestly think this is a non-negotiable program that you should have access to. So check out the link in the show notes for the foot and Achilles program. The last question that I wanted to ask you was, I've heard you on a couple of podcasts in the last couple of months being referred to as the Irish wonder boy. And from hearing you speak there about your strengths and your weaknesses and your modesty and whatnot, as well as seeing the growth over the last year, say, well, it's been going on for three years, but it really has accelerated and maybe even the last six months. Have you experienced now any sort of imposter syndrome in the last few weeks or are you completely fine with everything that's been happening? Um, I haven't, I don't think I've experienced, I think I'm slight, well, the imposter syndrome thing kind of always comes and goes because just on a, a random day, like you feel like that. Um, but no, like I'm at a stage now where I'm really comfortable with our work. So I did a, but the time this podcast comes out, I did a solo podcast myself yesterday, just recorded, and I, someone was asking me something or other, but I'm happy to sit in front of any coach or therapist or PhD in the world and present our work, and I have done, and it's been used all over the world in the best sports, blah, 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 by coaches and therapists, and I'm happy for them to try and tear it apart, and maybe they can tear parts of it apart, but I'm happy to like stand over it and say, this is why I thought that. I'm not saying I'm right, but this is why I think this about this. This is why I use this exercise in that regard. So I think that that kind of imposter syndrome is not quite there because I'm comfortable with the work. Um, and I try and detach myself from the work itself versus like me as a person. Uh, the Irish Wonder Boy thing, that's just... Jamie Smith. Um, that's just like, yeah, yeah, it's something that I'm not going to be comfortable with because I just know that like... People in Ireland in particular, and England is is similar, I think, where they just will find a reason to try and hate you. And when I even by me just saying that right there, like I'm comfortable with work, some people will be listening to this, driving, trying to take in the information or whatever, trying to learn. But at the same time as they hear me saying, like, I'm comfortable, I could present that to the NFL, they're thinking, this one's a cunt. You know what I mean? Like, 100% they are. Because yeah. I probably would have thought that about people as well in the past. Maybe I am a fucking cunt. But, <laughs> but um, like, I just, I just, me, a whole, like, people just want to tear you down and shit like that. You just, I just don't need that type of, like, that wonder thing and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's just, I, it's a joke, but it's not. Uh, I don't want to be seen to push that side of things. Even, like, there is physios and coaches and stuff local to me who just don't like me just because... You're doing well. Yeah, yeah, basically. basically. They really don't like me because of that. Because of an insecurity in themselves. Maybe. And like... Yeah. But but guess what they're using? A lot of the stuff they learn from me, but they don't like me as a person. Even though, I bet you if we sat there and had a beer, we'd be best friends. So, you know, it's just... I don't know. But that's maybe that's not an Irish or an English thing. It's, it's more prevalent here than in the States um but yeah people just want to pull you down and i just try to i pull myself down enough i don't need other people to pull me down i really do i I just i don't need more people pulling me down (laughs) 
Absolutely. I'll do that enough to myself. Anything that anyone has ever said to me, I'll probably say a lot more to myself. Yeah. And it sounds like it drives you on as well. Like that you not what they're saying, but what you're saying to yourself. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. We're just I'm just trying to have more fun. Just just I just people don't like like you've been on social media and saying stuff. All all I do on social media is share a thought that I have about something. I'm not even saying I'm fucking right about it. I'm just like, here's what I think right now. And that's all I'm doing. I'm not telling people you should think like me. Like, actually, the cool thing that I reflected on recently is so many people have taken like this type of stuff. And I don't mean like I own this stuff. It's just like my taking some of the thoughts. I get messages from people all the time who are like my practice has transformed based on just like some of the programs that I've got from you and I I just think I, I've never told them they have to do it this way or anything like that but just put it out there literally just put, put some thoughts out to the world and if it gets popular it does if it doesn't it doesn't and I just don't want people to I want people to feel like they can do the same thing not worry about tearing other people down just you put your thoughts out and see what happens. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Like, yeah. you have nothing to lose, put it out there. Just see what happens. I'm only going to ask you one quick fire question. What's the biggest thing you've learned in the last 12 months? Uh, have more fun. And it sounds like you're doing that. I am. I am. I'm the, probably the happiest I've been now in my life. Deadly. I'm having, definitely having more fun. My training is finally, like, after three years of, or so of, like, really struggling with my body not being able to like get my heart rate up much or else my body would compress on me like it's I don't even talk about that because it's hard to explain that to people who haven't had concussions and had issues like that so like obviously I would have liked to be have been in a place where I could share on my social media and show myself doing all these things as well and say people would it would be another layer of saying like okay like he he looks the part he's able to do this and all that stuff and i wasn't able to do that for a few years and actually maybe maybe that was what made me just have to articulate myself even better because i wasn't trying to like prove it to people so i would have liked to have been in that way but i wasn't so what could i do so like there's times when i've stood up for presentations in front of people and i'm not in good shape like that's not the way you want to be so but i've kind of got to I've kind of got more, even more comfortable with that, even though my training is going way better now. And like, every anyone knows who likes to be athletic. Like, when you don't feel right in your body, like nothing else is probably where you want it to be. But I've stood up in times where I'm like, I know that these people now are going to be like, this fellow doesn't know what he's talking about because he's not in good shape. And like, I have to even more than make sure that they leave with no doubt that he knows what he's talking about, and he's just because he's not in good shape right now, is completely separate to what I just learned from him right there. So, I don't know, that's a, that's a side tangent, but I'm just having more fun with things, being more myself and just enjoying things. So, We love the side chat tangents on the Speedy Performance podcast, and there's been a ton of them there. I have a lot of questions written down. We didn't get to mm-hmm. pretty much any of them because it was just a quality conversation. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate you coming on, Dave, for round two. And I really, really enjoyed that conversation. So thanks a million for all the work you've done, for bringing me down here to Waterford, for coming on the podcast and everything you've done for me as well. I really appreciate it. And I really am happy that you are happy in yourself and you're enjoying what you're doing. Thank you, Pete. Who's your favorite athlete of all time? 
it's Johnny Wilkinson and Ron Nogara. Mm. So when you said that there, Ron Nogara came to my mind. And then I said, wait, no, Johnny Wilkinson. Mm-hmm. And then I said, I can't select between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like Wilfo a lot. And O'Gara is probably my favorite coach as well, which is yeah, yeah. When you listen to O'Gara talking, like he has emotional intelligence that you didn't know he had as a player. No, and maybe he didn't have it. Maybe he didn't have it. Yeah, maybe he didn't have it. But Wilkinson is fucking legend. When I wanted to like start practicing free, free kick taking as a Gaelic footballer, I was looking at Johnny Wilkinson. I was like, I need to watch what he's doing. And now I won't necessarily agree with everything, but. He's a fucking legend. He's the most... Uh, he said the most as the answer to that question on this podcast. So aspirationally, I'd like to get both of them on the podcast eventually. Mm-hmm. We'll see if it happens. But mm-hmm. for now, I have David Gray, who's pushing 100,000 on Instagram. So I'm delighted <laughs> to close with that. Thanks, well, David. Thanks, Pete. Hey guys, David here. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. It would be so helpful if you could give it a share for us. That's how our podcast grows. That's how we can continue to get on great guests and have great conversations that I enjoy. It's very, it is a selfish thing. Obviously, I really enjoy them, but hopefully you enjoy them as well. And I want to have, continue to have great conversations like that. I just wanted to give you one more little reminder to check out our Foot and Achilles program. Um, It is the best program on the market in terms of learning learning drills, learning theory, learning concepts, learning progressions of how you progress yourself or your clients all the way through the phases in a safe, smart, logical, most importantly, a logical manner and a fun manner, the way you actually enjoy training. Okay, so check out the Foot and Achilles program. The link is in the show notes. And apart from that, hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll talk to you guys next week.